Things move fast in fintech. And to remain competitive, institutions need to embrace the right innovations or risk losing their position in the market. However, not every new technology is a winner, and adopting a solution that turns out to be a bust could be just as damaging as not embracing new trends at all. There is so much information out there. And sometimes it's, it's not about the amount of data that's available, because we all talk about that all the time. Right? Data, data, data is a new oil, data is a new economy. But what of that data is really important? What is information and what is, uh, what is noise? But sorting the duds from the winners is no mean feat. We're trying to extrapolate what is noise, what are all these startups and all these technology trends and what's happening in academia and what companies are building and what people are shouting about on Twitter. And how do you say, I can pull out the things that are really salient from that noise? This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. In this series, we'll be looking to the future to find out how fintechs and financial institutions are gearing up and developing next-generation innovations to meet the challenges and needs of tomorrow's world. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. And in our season finale, we're exploring the disruptive themes and key trends influencing fintech investment. We'll ask which emerging trends are likely to shape the next generation of fintech innovation and find out how advances in themes like embedded finance, identity, and retail could change what it means to be a financial institution. Plus, we'll find out how large corporates and nimble startups are working together to help navigate the latest trends. And joining us today in our disruptive theme deep dive is Vice President of Future Exploration and Ventures at FIS, Ed Barker. Now, a lot of people might consider themselves forward thinkers, but for Ed, thinking about the future isn't just a personal trait, it's his vocation. I lead what's called future exploration within FIS Impact Ventures. It's the team that looks into the future and we do strategies, what the future might look like, how we get there, some guidance around our direct investments and new co-teams. We do studies and prototypes. So trying to build new models, especially with data, and we do thematic research. So thinking about areas that might be really interesting, but might not be technology exactly, might not be a market exactly, but the combination of things that we think will help shape what 2030 looks like. In a sense, we're futurists. There is science to that, but uh, there's some art to it as well. So understanding the themes and the trends that shape the world and how they come together and using our best rigorous guesses to think about what that might look like. How much of that is looking at the past and studying the trends of the past? Quite a lot. So um, one of the things in Foresight is looking back to look forward. Although history doesn't necessarily always repeat itself, the way we think about things coming together and forces that shape markets or products often do. So we do look back to look forward. We think about the major inflection points in markets and what caused changes to happen. Um, and often you can replay them even if the trends are new, uh, and think about what might come next as a result. Right. And it's fluid, right? So every change informs the one before it and ahead of it. 
right? Yes. The complexities of the market are, are kind of interesting, aren't they? Because think about uh, what's happened over the last couple of years with COVID and broken supply chains. We're very deeply interconnected, both in the, the products and services that FIS offers and the ecosystem that we're in and often lead and uh, our dependencies and reliances on other actors in the, the ecosystem as well. So that dynamism makes for a lot of complexity, makes it very hard to say we know exactly what's going to happen next, even if we think we can be quite smart around it. And of course, you know, FIS is in the privileged position, having been built up over, what, 50 years now, that it can also shape what that future looks like too, in, in quite a powerful way, I think. And... To add on to that, the fintech is just growing in leaps and bounds. And so as we move toward the future, this expansiveness is, again, I've used the word awesome, and I, I mean that <laughs> truly. So what are some of these trends that we're seeing next five to eight years? Well, I think one of the ways of thinking about this and the way we think about it is to um, kind of put down on paper and say, here's what we're interested in. So taking a step back from the individual trends and saying, hey, we have a taxonomy, which is our sort of view of the world, which says, hey, this is what we're interested in. And we think about the experiences that consumers and businesses have when they have a financial journey. So you know, how they buy, pay, manage, borrow, and invest. And within that, there's, there's some really interesting trends we're looking at. The industries that are starting to embed financial services, that takes fintech beyond financial services companies like FIS and our merchant clients and our banking clients to many, many other verticals. Um, as Andreessen Horowitz, the VC company in Silicon Valley put it, every company will become a fintech. And I think that's playing out. And I mentioned themes. We think about themes. And that's kind of research-based. Then we think about technologies and what are the building blocks for the future. And so, you know, within those, there, there are course trends like embedded finance uh, and the role of identity and trust and the future of retail data uh, and what contextualization and personalization looks like. So what do you in your financial life need, Erin, but also the context in which you're doing it? And then we think about Web3 and crypto. So those are kind of really key trends. They've been mentioned on the podcast before. Oh, yes. They've been themes just woven in throughout because these are some of the foundational aspects of fintech and it's what we've seen. And so it's kind of exciting to see what's going to happen in the future with all of these because these were kind of revolutionary and now they're just going to become more mainstream, I guess. Well, I think we see it certainly through the signals we get from the market. So partly it's based on the research we have, but also the conversations we have with our VC partners and also the deal flow we see coming through startups. And sometimes it's interesting, my colleagues on the direct startup investment side of things say, well, sometimes we see three or four companies in a similar space. Is that a signal or is that still noise? And then we see eight, nine, 10, 12. Well, we know that's a signal now. And part of the strategy and the process that we have here at uh, Impact Ventures is to say, well, what's the right time? What's the right area to invest? And what's the right time to connect the dots between the products that FIS is building and where the market may be going in the future, years four, five, 10, 20? What are you seeing? What are some elements of these trends that could be really, really significant moving into the future? A couple of the areas that we're we're looking at from a research point of view is the gig work market or the labor market as it's becoming more fractionalized. So as you break down what were traditional jobs into tasks, 
What does that look like? We think about gig work today as being Uber drivers or DoorDash delivery people, perhaps someone you've hired on Fiverr to do, I don't know, voiceover work or uh, write a jingle for my other podcast. <laughs> and that's, that's all true. That's all gig work. But it's also now strategists and fractional CFOs and investment people. And so by some measure, up to 30% of the US labor market is gig worked in some way, but they all have financial needs. So we're looking at that. And so uh, just as an example, what happens when you want to get a line of credit when you're a gig worker and traditional financial models say you're too risky? Well, there's a lot of data sources out there and a lot of signals coming from the market from those big platforms that could be used to build alternative credit ratings or an alternative route to financial services. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be a product that FIS builds or one that we invest in, but it's something we're thinking about. And I think that's part of the role here at Future Exploration to say, hey, there's uh, different types of financial products that should be coming into the market and, and what can we do about uh, building or investing in it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I interrupted you. You were you were continuing to talk about some of these other elements. Yeah. So one of the other areas we're really interested in is identity and what might come next. And FIS as a company has a, a number of um, KYC type products as well. But what does the future look like when maybe your identity is is less centralized than we ha have it now and, and more decentralized? So what are the big pools of identity today? There's your government ID, your passport, your driving license. There's the type of ID you have with your bank. There's the type of ID that maybe you have with the social media providers. But they're all quite centralized in a pool, and it's very hard to share them across these ecosystems. And so this is a really, really hard area. One of the fascinating things about blockchain and on-chain decentralized identities is the ability to share it across many, many ent entities. To have it in a place that maybe is yours and you own, isn't owned by a mega corporation that you have more control over and that you can federate out to different products and services as you choose. Now, we're nowhere near that today. Uh, but as we look five years plus out, the technology is there to do it. The willingness from people may be there to do it. I mean, we certainly give our way identities very freely today. Are we becoming a bit smarter about what that looks like in the future? And if so, who are the providers that might help us get to that more decentralized identity future? So that's another area we're thinking about. Those are great examples. Yeah, I didn't even think about that with the ID. You know, I've talked to people who are, you know, don't have a passport or maybe don't drive. And how do they get it? You know, it's about bringing more inclusivity, other pathways. It is, and, and, and potentially more control as well. So it's true, when you think about identity, it can be really, really basic. So I was once working on a project where we were trying to help new parents in emerging markets text in the registration of the birth, because very high percentages of people in emerging markets don't have a formal ID. If you don't have a formal ID, it's very hard to be part of the formal economy. But in Western markets like the U.S., the ID and all the data around it has a real value. And it has a value to companies like FIS, like our partners, like the social media providers and tech platforms, but also to people. Now, it's not to say that people will suddenly start monetizing their ID, but uh, the world of decentralized ID and identity wallets may give people a little more control if they want it and they want to take it.
Changes in the gig economy and identity services are just two potential areas for investment in a sea of emerging themes. And as organizations continue to invest in and explore these areas, only then will their impact on the future of fintech, financial organizations, and society become clear. But what other trends are already disrupting fintech, and how are they shaping the industry? Yeah, what's all these new again, whether it's fintech or, or other sectors, everything has always been reinvented. And that's, that's what it makes it exciting. That's what gets us up in the morning, doesn't it? Uh, helps us build things, invest in the entrepreneurs that really have a vision. One of the other areas we're really interested in is retail data. And I don't want to give away all our secrets here, but if you think about like how smart we've got in what we do online with retail data. So your favorite shopping site online pretty much knows what you like. Oh my gosh, you're yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just thinking about this as I was getting ready for this episode is because I just recently bought a house and I've been decorating. And now I'm like inundated with emails about throw pillows and like, let's give you this sale and let's do this. I'm like, oh my God, they know me. You'll be retargeted from now until the end of time on yeah, house furnishings. So we got really smart. We know what people want. We know when they want it which is now we know the kind of price points that will work for them. We can make the right kind of offers. But not all of that smarts has been in the offline world. So when you enter a store, we don't really know that you're there. But we could. And so some of the alternative data sources, some of the investments that FIS has made uh, in this space, so we're able to look at SKU level data. So the individual products, we're able to look at pricing data very dynamically across different types of merchants and different locations and at different times, we're able to, with quite a high degree of accuracy, think about basket composition. What is Erin likely to be buying on a Tuesday afternoon? So what can you do if you build this kind of model? Well, because the stores themselves are becoming more digital, so retail media networks, so screens in stores, screens on shopping carts, more digital shopping carts, for example, which will be rolling out in the years to come, allow us to make those kind of personalized recommendations, offers, potentially dynamic shelving and dynamic pricing along with it. So, I mean, we're going quite deep into the retail data area. But I think this is a really fascinating area where there's a kind of virgin space for exploration, which as a futurist is always quite exciting. I hope the future just makes things better for us, more seamless. We can walk into the store, we can walk out with the things we want, even if we didn't know we wanted them. And I think it's going to end up in a, a better world. In a good place, right, to make things more efficient and have more control, as you said. So one thing you're talking about that I'm really curious about is this idea of embedded finance. And you mentioned earlier that every company essentially becoming a fintech because they have their own embedded finance. What does this mean for how financial institutions are going to operate moving forward? I mean, are they going to become obsolete? Are they going to partner? What's Well... This is a really, I mean, it's the perfect question, really, because it's the, you know, the financial institutions we know today and work with, they're not becoming obsolete. But there is a question around what their role might be. So if you, um, for example, want to repair the roof on your house and you take a line of credit out on your, your home, do you do that with your bank or do you do that with the roofing company? If you buy auto insurance, but you get it at the dealership when you're financing with the car, that's an embedded play. There's two financial products there alongside the new car. You may not see a bank 
or an insurer at all in that transaction. That's just much more efficient for the consumer. But has the, the dealer that's selling you your Tesla, are they now a bank? Or another way of thinking about it, IKEA bought out there by now pay later partner. They're effectively a bank now, IKEA. You can go to IKEA and get your furniture and pay for it over in installments. There's a financial play there, but it's not a bank that's doing it. In that world, everyone's a fintech, but the role of the banks and the role of partners is to support those flows. If we believe that's the future, if we believe that's more efficient or expands the world of financial services, then it does change the role. One other thing I think about is the world of Web3 and crypto, because when we're building digital products and services online, that has a really interesting play in how we finance the growth of those digital products and services. So in the Web2 world, you came up with an idea, social network of some kind. You went to a VC and said, hey, I've got this idea. Can we have some money to go scale it? They said, yeah, sure thing. Now we may be able to do that through the crowd and through tokenization. That's another financial play that's changing financial institutions. It may be faster to get to network effects and faster to get to a, a new, I don't know, content service that um, through tokens than it was in the past. But in, embedded finance is fascinating both for the the propositions that we'll, we'll end up having as consumers, but for also how it changes what um, a bank becomes and what a merchant becomes and what FIS as a company becomes. Let's jump a little. It's kind of a, a perfect segue to talking about innovation as a service, because all of these are, are innovations and we're moving so quickly. So what kind of opportunity do you think investment in this area could hold for institutions? When we think about that, we think about the signals that we get from the market and what we're understanding when we're talking to VCs and to startups and doing research in the world. And we're thinking about the role our investments have in making the future. And so when we're talking to clients, we think that's a really valuable proposition. We understand the market through the signals that we have. We think we're investing in the right kinds of companies that are going to build tomorrow's ecosystem. And we think that's going to make FIS's propositions more powerful than they are today. So not just the products, but the leading edge stuff that we bring with it. Now, if we think about layering on top intelligence about the market that we get as an investment house, we think there's a lot of value to both our clients and to FIS as a result. Uh, is that innovation as a service? I mean, it's innovation as something that's really powerful, both for a corporate and our partners. There is a challenge there, though. And I think the challenge is that Massive companies like FIS work at a different cadence and with a different level of um, diligence than many startups. So connecting the two, connecting a, an early stage, young, fast moving uh, startup to a corporate that may have more processes is, is an age old challenge. That's why uh, hundreds of companies have outposts in Silicon Valley to try and to do this, not only do the scouting and the R&D and the investments, but um, understand what's happening and then connect them into the corporates. And we're trying to do that here at Impact Ventures as well and with my colleagues in fintech advocacy, make sure that we work in a way that's right for the startup, but also right for FIS as a company too. And you see that moving forward five years, 20, 30, heading that way, because it's what I'm hearing and what I heard in previous episodes is that it's really this wonderful collaboration. You know, you both benefit from it. And do you see that continuing more rapidly? 
I think it's absolutely essential. So Bill Joy, who's one of the founders of Sun Microsystems, said uh, not all the smart people work for you. So that is, that is, we have brilliant people at FIS, but there's brilliant people outside too. So why wouldn't you want to bring that in? So both for the benefit of us as a company and our partners, but also for those startups too. So it is a symbiotic relationship. It's a challenging one because we're different types of, of organizations. So if you think about it, what's the role of a corporate? The role of a corporate is to sure make money, add value, but also do that very efficiently. Startups are often there to disrupt. That's often the point. And the antibodies at corporates can be quite strong to say, hey, no, that's against our operating model. I'm certain we do that the right way here at FIS. We're, we're trying to bring them in. I was amazed, actually, when I was talking with some of my colleagues recently about just how streamlined we managed to get the, the contracts down to and um, how quickly we're trying to bring these companies in. I'll be involved in the demo day for the accelerator coming up. And the whole process there with the accelerator is to get those companies into FIS and to refer them to our clients and to do it as quickly as possible. Because if you think about it, when you're a startup, uh, time is literally money. And that money is, even if you're the best entrepreneur, 18 months of capital, maybe. And so a sales cycle of 12 to 18 months is no good at all. So speed really does matter. The partnerships between corporates and startups are crucial when it comes to trying and testing the latest trends and themes. Startups bring the ingenuity and drive to explore and develop emerging technologies. And corporates bring the experience and resources to help fully realize those ideas. But choosing the right trends to invest in in the first place is one of the biggest challenges. So. How does Ed tell the fads from the future? It's a question we ask ourselves every day. Uh, and we're trying to extrapolate what is noise? What are all these startups and all these technology trends and what's happening in academia and what companies are building and what people are shouting about on Twitter? And how do you say, I can pull out the things that are really salient from that noise? And we do that by, by having lots of data sources. So we have data on private markets. We have sources that scan the web. Uh, we do that personally as well. We cluster. We use the techniques and tools I talked about earlier to bring those together. And, and we think as a result, we've got a quite rigorous process around, okay, noise, signal, themes and trends, uh, and we can plot them forward. And that's where we get the heat map from. Uh, or the taxonomy. It's partly top-down. These are the things we know are going to be important, but it's also a lot bottom-up. These are the things we see, and we'll um, iterate on that fairly frequently at a cadence that's right for the Impact um, Ventures team, but also right for the organization. And when a trend uh, or a signal becomes a trend, we'll focus on that deeply. We'll think about what are the second, third-order layers to, say, identity, and then we'll bring new things in when we think they become important. I think it's so relevant. I'm like, signal and noise. I mean, yes, it's in the financial world, but it's true for just about everything. It's like coming down to what's authentic and how do we measure that? How do we measure 
what's a signal versus what's noise, what's lasting, what's authentic, what's going to feed you in whatever way that means, whether it's financially or living your life. But no, I love that. I, I See, I keep writing stuff down that you say. <laughs> I've got all these little things. That's great. So as we're talking about figuring out what are the signals, what are the noise in terms of investing, what signals are you getting? Is it is it a good time to be investing? Look, it's a, it's a tighter market now, for sure. I think there's a lag between what happens in the market and what happens in the venture capital world, traditionally. I think we're seeing that become tighter quite quickly. So some of the private equity money that was in the venture market is disappearing. That makes it a tougher time for some founders, for sure. But um, every venture capitalist I know also thinks this is a magnificent time to invest. Let's just think about the big discontinuities that we've had over the last few decades. The financial crash of 2007-89, the recession of the early noughties. These are when some of the best companies were founded. When you have to be scrappier, when you have to be really smart, when you think about what am I building versus what am I trying to get to, so if I was to give any founders investment advice now, which this isn't because it's a podcast, um, focusing on the fundamentals of your business. What am I using cash on right now? Am I building product that's actually really differentiated and going to position me strongly in the market? Or am I spending money on acquiring customers? And I think we've seen over the last two years, three years with a really hot VC market that a lot of companies have been spending on market share and probably aren't in the strongest place. The fundamentals aren't as strong as the companies that have been building something really different and really potentially disruptive. And history has told us, again, that the strongest companies often come out of these really disruptive times and financial markets. So we think that's true. When it comes to impact ventures, we're a strategic fund. We're not as big as some of those the huge Silicon Valley funds. But right now, is it a good time as a strategic to invest? I think it probably is. I think you might get better value, but also we, we're really going to see who the strong founders are at a time when capital starts to run out. You can be sure that as a founder, raising money is going to be much, much more difficult in the months to come. But for us, I think probably we can get better value. Maybe we can be in on deals that we might not have been able to do in the past. And if we're really smart about it, we can invest in the right kind of things now that will be the big disruptors of the years to come. So speaking of that, can you talk about an example of an investment that FIS has made recently, like something that was based on these trends? How did you assess it? What was the outcome? What was the trend? All of that, just kind of putting it all together. Let's think about a portfolio view here. So when when I think about identity and trust, it's really important and it always has been. But right now, I think it's a really pivotal point in how we think about identity and trust. And so to your question, how do we think about investing now? We have made a couple of direct investments in startups that are in that space. Uh, we've taken LP positions in funds that really focus on um, identity and ancillary things around identity. We're building a new co in that space and we're doing some deep research. So there's a portfolio view of, of something that's really important to us in identity. We're thinking about the world today and transactions we make today But we're also thinking about a decentralized future of Web3 or embedded finance, how identity might shape the world of the future as well. And hopefully we're building relevant products for our clients now. We're going to be doing that for three years out and we're thinking about what the five year plus view will be as well. We try to think about things that are really important to us in a kind of holistic way. 
I think that puts us in a strong position. We can't um, invest in everything. So um, those things that are important to us, we, we make really specific and I think rigorous decisions uh, about what we do. So as we're starting to wrap this up, if you're going to speak words of wisdom to those that are listening, what would you say to institutions who are looking to future-proof their trend-based investments? Be rigorous, be methodological about it. Think about what is art, what is science. I, I think there is so much information out there. And sometimes it's, it's not about the amount of data that's available because we all talk about that all the time, right? Data, data, data is a new oil, data is a new economy. But what of that data is really important? What is information and what is, uh, what is noise? So be rigorous about it. Be declarative, say, yeah, these are the things that are important to us. That's what we do here. Understand what trends are important and what's a bandwagon. Generally, there is a, a tendency to follow what feels hot. And sometimes understanding where we are in that cycle of, of hype versus reality is important as well. And think about the major disruptions. I mean, we've had three huge ones in the last few years. I mean, we've had the pandemic and the impact on supply chains. We're now looking at a lot of price inf Inflation, both on commodities that are really important to us day to day, on fuel and energy. And we've got the war in Ukraine. And, and these are massive shocks to the global ecosystem. So understanding how that may play out. We do scenario planning here. And it's not just for black swan events. It's also to think about where the opportunities lie in the future. And I, I think that rigor should leave us in a strong position for the future. Ed Barker is Vice President of Future Exploration and Ventures at FIS. That's it for today's show. Thanks for joining us for this season of Financial Futures, a production of Lower Street Media in collaboration with FIS. This season has been produced by Ryan Sutton. Ben Cranell is our audio editor and sound designer. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. If you've enjoyed this season, please remember to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. And stay tuned, a brand new season of Financial Futures is coming soon. Mm -hmm.